Hey, what's up? Welcome to Movie Dumpster Season 4, Episode 1. And we're about to put a little slide in your glide, because we're talking about Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, from 1977, directed by Cliff Rockmore. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor, The Devil's Skeleton-in-Law, McGraw. Welcome to The Dumpster. Yes? I'm Petey Wheatstraw. The Devil's Son-in-Law. The high sheriff hell. I went with notorious Fanny and even made love to old Lulabelle. I took today and brought back yesterday. Took the 4th of July and put it in June and made leap year jump over the moon. I'm not here to brag nor here to boast. I can sit on a tombstone and produce baby ghosts. Well, I can even remember the day I was born. It was the day of that great Miami, Florida storm. Release yourself. Law McGraw, I can rhythm and rhyme all, <laughs> all the time. Um, I wish I could speak in rhyme as good as Rudy Ray, Ray Moore could, can, or could, rather. Oh my god. Uh, R.I.P. Man, what a legend this man was. Yeah, R.I.P. for sure. Yeah. It's, guys, it's funny, I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and there's something in that game called Flighting, which is basically just Viking rap battles, and this whole movie, I'm like, yeah, that's basically just what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a chance to meet him. Really? Yeah, around like 2001, I was at a convention. Or it might have been like before that, a couple of years before that. I didn't. I wasn't really into Dolomite yet. I, I kind of didn't know who that was yet. Yeah, weren't you like nine years old? Like, no, I was. I was a teenager, but I was into all the exploitation films. But I hadn't kind of graduated into black exploitation because I, you know, I found out about these films like on the internet, and I only had a couple friends that were kind of into it as much as I was and I kind of relied on on those two things so and and it was a matter of getting your hands on the uh, the movies themselves which weren't an easy task until like the early 2000s and mid 2000s you know never seen this in a shelf well we're also spoiled now because it's like oh that fucking movie from 1974 that was lost to to, to time oh okay well, it's streaming on Netflix or it's streaming on Amazon Prime <laughs> it's on Tubi it's on Tubi you know uh because, of course, all the uh, Rudy Ray Moore movies, or, or at least some of the big ones, uh, including this, Dolomite, and uh, The Human Tornado, and Disco Godfather, which we might talk about a little bit in a moment, are all on Tubi. I'm assuming kind of through Vinegar Syndrome, which we have talked about previously on this show, other movies that uh, are licensed by them usually end up on Tubi. So you have no excuse not to watch this movie. We'll get to it, but I'm just, just for the sake of getting through it at the moment, those four Dolomite movies were uh, acquired 
acquired by Vinegar Syndrome and remastered, and they look fucking great and they sound great. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to support that, you probably should go do that and pick up those four discs from um, Vinegar Syndrome themselves. But uh, you know, if you're a cheapskate and you just want to watch the movies, we implore you to go check out Tubi or do do what you want. Yeah, yeah, do what do whatever you want. The first two movies that he did, I don't know if you're about to uh, give me a little break or or give us rather a breakdown of uh, Rudy Ray Moore here, Joe. Before we talk about Rudy, I want to talk about the black exploitation film genre. Okay, yeah, because this is a uh, a new idea we're playing with this season, where we're going to kind of go through a few of these black exploitation films, really shine a light on them. And uh, kind of talk them out like we do on the show, and uh, we hope you guys enjoy it, because it's something that we've talked about uh, on and off for a couple seasons now, and uh, I think we're all pretty happy to finally pull the uh, proverbial trigger on it with Rudy Ray Moore himself, the godfather of rap, as uh, Snoop Dogg <laughs> lovingly has referred to him in the past. That's correct. And I know what you're thinking. Three white guys talking about a bunch of uh, black films. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, three three Elmer's glue white guys, all from these fucking suburbs of New Jersey. I'm a little tanner than you guys, but I'm still white. It's hard to beat Irish pale. <laughs> yeah, we just burn, Joe. I know, I'm not pasty, but I'm definitely a white guy. Anyway, my point is, um, I don't want to come out of the gate in this and be like, uh, you know, I, I'm an expert or we're the experts on the genre or the real cultural influence these have had on black culture. I don't want to be a voice or try to be the voice of of the black culture on this subject. We are strictly coming from a point of view of just how these have impacted the film uh, genre and and a little bit uh, and in just historical you know facts and stuff like that. Again, I didn't grow up with these films, right? And my folks didn't grow up with these films. I mean, neither did I, or I'm sure Sean hasn't either. So no, yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't even know who Dolomite or Rudy Ray Moore were until Joe told me about them, and then. My girlfriend apparently was also a uh, big fan uh, going way back. But yeah, I'm also kind of a recent fan the last couple of years, but I got to tell you guys, I'm a big recent fan. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we can get into that in a second. I I do want to talk about black exploitation in general. And and really, we look at these films now and we're like, oh, that's a fucking hilarious movie from the 70s where this pimp comes and knows kung fu and beats the shit out of a bunch of drug dealers and saves saves the neighborhood or whatever you know what i mean right and it's a little bit more than that because like the up until that point in the 70s um the black community didn't have anybody i wouldn't say people that they could look up to but they also didn't have strong positions in films right they they were they're always like the sidekick or they were never like the starring role or the superhero or the action star or anything like that you know exactly so it was kind of like it was a it was a big movement in the 70s and kind of the shifting of uh, of the position of races and and all that kind of stuff like from the you know the late 60s into the the 70s the early 70s and i think that is great but even people from what i've read you know i didn't live it and i don't i don't have commentary from a, a black friend that that has their point of view on it however um you know it wasn't well received 
well received by the black community either uh, because of the depictions of how how black people were being de- depicted in these films. A lot of times, you know, there's a lot of like ghettos in these films and uh, exploitation. They were exploiting the worst parts of some of these stereotypes, really stereotypes and living situations and stereotypes and things like that. But in my mind. I'm thinking about it and like, well, how how else would you write that, right? You would want to exploit the worst parts of the community and be like, this is some fucking bullshit and we need to change this more or less. Not saying that Dolomite is... Because Dolomite's campy and like spoofy or whatever, but there were some other films in the genre that were actually trying to 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 say that like politically. And some of those first films to really kick off the genre were uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and Shaft, uh, which you know obviously Shaft has been a huge cultural influence. Oh yeah, with the music of I Isaac Hayes and the remake with um, uh, Sam Jackson and all that. I mean, it was it was a big deal. They even came out with a third one just recently with the original Shaft Sam Jackson. And it was supposed to be like his son. Yeah. Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song stars Melvin Van Peebles, the father of Mario Van Peebles, which is crazy to me um, because um, I'm super familiar. You got, you know, we're super familiar with Mario Van Peebles' work, especially like in the 90s, all his like action flicks and stuff. But Mario even played his father in the biopic called Badass about the making of that film. Interesting. Which is pretty fucking cool. So, you know, I don't want to go off on a huge uh, political tangent, but I will say that like, these films ended up being way more influential than I think they intended to be, or maybe not in the same way they kind of intended to be. I feel like they, I feel like they both inspired a lot of stuff. Um, again, like it, it depends how you watch these. Like you can watch them. You know, I think most of the time people watch films and they're just like, "Oh, this is a movie, and this is shit that happens in it." You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like you can also break it down uh, academically, but I feel like. Just for the fact that, like, Dolomite, like, let's just talk about Dolomite for a second since he's the kind of the subject of this episode, but, like, he's just a bad motherfucker, and he's funny as shit, and he's a delight to watch. You know what I mean? So, like... Yeah. You know, you watch that, and it sticks with you. Like, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, a lot of these films have a big influence in, like, Quentin Tarantino's film catalog. He he was the next person I was going to mention because, like, he's borrowed so much from so many different people and genres. And, like, like, Django Unchained is, for what it's worth, like, a modern-day blaxploitation film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, even stuff like we were talking about before we uh, got on the proverbial air uh, with Pam Greer herself, who was in a lot of those films. Yep. uh, Jackie Brown. By, by Quentin, even. It's so weird that, a, like, a, a white dude doing a black exploitation film, but with... I mean, but, I mean, it's strange, but there is positive connotations to, to, to both of those films, um, especially, you know, coming from, like, a slave coming up and, and being becoming free and just fucking kicking some fucking ass and just being a badass motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Which I guess is kind of the core idea of black exploitation films, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whether it be a woman or a man, um, you just have this badass fucking black character that don't take no shit from no one and and is usually some kind of, some type of revenge flick, right? Or it's either, either you're sticking it to the man or you're sticking it to some fucking scumbag drug dealers or other pimps or whatever. Or the Golden Lords. <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit, right? I would even argue that, that Meteor Man Man's even kind of like a black exploitation film because 
it's a superhero film and Dolomite is even considered quote unquote a superhero especially in some of those latter films well yeah I mean if we want to get technical the character of Dolomite is really only in Dolomite and the Human Tornado but Rudy Ray Moore basically is Dolomite like that is just him you know at its core yeah well we're gonna we're gonna break that down too but if if you guys have anything else to say about the genre itself or products thereof no i think you nailed it i was gonna mention black dynamite which is uh michael Jai white's like love letter to this genre that came out in like 2009 i think yeah that too it is hilarious um and it's made with like these intentional production fuck-ups so like extras will be seen walking on set when they're supposed to things will fall over there's clear <laughs> shots where someone has taken over like a stunt double has taken over for somebody because the, the edit is like deliberately choppy and it ends with uh black diamond fighting richard nixon so everybody should watch it yeah oh my god that sounds amazing <laughs> well, there you and then go. you know of course you know we have the movie that came out we, we talked about it a couple times on this show but uh, dolmite is my name uh with eddie murphy that came out uh, going on almost two years ago now, a year and a half ago. Uh, the biop on Rudy Ray Moore, mm-hmm. and it's it's mostly supposed to be about Dolomite, but if you know his movies, you know it's like they pepper in some scenes from his other films for for comedic effect. Definitely check out that uh, Dolomite is my name. It's a really good film. I tell you one thing: I know what clip I'm going to use for the beginning of this of this episode already. <laughs> if you already heard that. Which I'm, which you already did. If you enjoyed that and what we're about to talk about, go fucking watch the movie. I mean, it's it's so good, and, and that goes for all of the of the Dolomite films. But let's talk about Rudy Ray Moore. So Rudy Ray Moore was a comedian in the 60s and he actually served in the military as entertainment really and then he was um honorably discharged from the the military yeah well there you go yeah so he comes back and then in the late 50s you know in the late 50s he's he's a comedian early 60s and he puts out uh some albums and he puts out uh below the belt beatnik scene and a comedian is born. Now, the Dolomite character hasn't been invented yet. And while he's kind of putting out, like, he, now, he's now a professional comedian and he, he's got some records out or what have you. And he's, I believe the story goes, he's at some, like, record store or something. And there's this wino guy named Rico, who's like a town drunk. And he has this bit called Dolomite. And it's this rhyming, rapping you know, obscene kind of shit that's, like, kind of, like, dirty poetry almost, right? Long story short, he gets this guy to come to his apartment, and he basically just, like, smokes him up and gets him drunk, and he has this guy do the Dolomite bit into a tape recorder, and then... Rudy Ray Moore is a professional comedian, so he takes that material and then creates the persona of Dolomite. That's interesting. And that's how it was born. Yeah, it takes all this guy's, like, half-baked jokes and and really crafts them into zingers. Exactly. Now, Dolomite is a satirical persona for Rudy, right? So, like, Rudy... If you, like, Rudy Ray Moore, the guy, doesn't walk around talking like this, you know what I mean? He's not even like this at all. It's just a character that he plays in the movie, which should be an obvious thing to most people. But, like, he was very um, adamant about that. Like, hey, this is a, just a fucking character that I play, and it's, like, funny. I am kind of saying something with it. It's kind of getting that, like, clandestine, like, message in there via comedy. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So then the Dolomite albums... <laughs> where he, his persona is Dolomite, um, are eat out more often. <laughs> this pussy belongs to me and the Dirty Dozens. And if you haven't seen these album covers, you need to look them up because they are fucking hilarious. <laughs> He's naked on almost every one of them. 
that. And basically what they are are just like Dolomite or Rudy Ray Moore doing Dolomite uh, bits wherein he's got like dirty poetry and like insult for insult. And this is all set to like smooth jazz music and shit. Yes. Um, and it's fucking fantastic. So he puts these albums out and they're fucking they're they're mo- they're a moderate success. He makes a decent amount of money from. So what he does is he takes it a step further. So in 1975, he gathers up all the money that he's made from these albums and he decides to fully well, 95% uh fund out of pocket his own film Dolomite. Well, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning of a legend. Let's put it that way. The beginning the, the makings of a legend, right? And you know, here's this guy doing an, I mean, he's he's got a record deal, but he's also doing like independent fi- he's a black man in the early 70s doing independent film. Writing the the jokes, acting in it, doing the songs and the lyrics. Yep. And just a just a quick rundown on Dolomite. So Do- Dolomite the character um is a pimp who basically gets framed by another pimp and goes to jail and then does like 20 years comes out and goes to reclaim his turf by assembling his hoes and training them to do karate (laughs) and then going after the drug dealers and the opposing pimp yeah and the corrupt uh uh law enforcement that that's about it yeah i mean especially that first film that's that that's the movie and he he just uh he, he kicks their fucking asses. Yeah, Dolomite is his name, and fuck it up, motherfuckers, is his game, dude. <laughs> and he doesn't wear no fucking cotton drawers, Joe. <laughs> he sure doesn't. <laughs> um, so Dolomite is followed by a sequel in 76 called, it just called, it's called Human Tornado, and he reprises the Dolomite role, and it's a direct sequel. Then in 77, he does Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, the, son, the, the movie we're talking about today, which... Is the Dolomite character, but isn't can isn't a canon sequel. It's like a totally different movie. He doesn't play Dolomite. He plays Petey Wheatstraw. Right. And then following that is the Disco Godfather, uh, where again he has that Dolomite persona, but he's not called Dolomite, and he plays like a retired cop in that. And um, his his nephew does like PCP, and then he basically takes to the streets to fucking bust these drug dealers' asses, and it's great. There's always like the it, you know the premise is ridiculous, the shit that happens in it is ridiculous, the jokes are fucking ridiculous, but there is kind of a good message where it's like you know don't do fucking drugs, don't be a fucking piece of shit, help out your community, do all that kind of shit. Right? Because that that I think that's what he was like in real life. He was just a genuinely nice guy that cared about people. He spent his his lot of time at churches and doing like giving like talks and stuff like that. The common thread in all the movies I've seen this genre is there's usually like a plot point about fixing the community or getting rid of crime or sticking it to the like the corrupt man. So yeah, that's a that's a genre wide thing. Yeah, capitalism and shit. And at the core, I feel like that's that's a very positive message, you know. But yeah, so he paid all out of his pocket for that first film, and he like made it with like just friends and working the crew and being his actors. And again, watch that watch that biopic with uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. And definitely go back and, and, and watch these films. Every single one of these is a fucking banger. There's there's not a dud in the, in the original 70s uh, series. Oh, I think Disco Godfather, yeah, that was 79, right? I think, yeah, it might be right on the cusp there. Yeah, it's, it's like, ju- it's at the ass end of the 70s. So those are the 70s films. And then Rudy doesn't do the Dolomite character for another 20 years. And it's funny to me because the way that I found out about Rudy Ray Moore and his legacy was through Insane Clown Posse. What? (laughs) 
Yeah. So Insane Clown Posse, I was a, I was a fan of Insane Clown Posse uh, for a long time, and they put out this movie called Big Money Hustlers, and in the movie, Rudy Ray Moore reprises his role as Dolomite and guides Shaggy Two Dope. <laughs> what? Through be- like like getting his shit together and like and like overcoming this crime lord. What? It's pretty fucking great. If you don't want to watch the movie, fine. Look up the montage, the Dolomite montage from Big Money Hustlers. Uh, it's fucking hilarious. That's one of the most surreal things I've ever heard. Yeah. So he's in that film, and that's how I found out. And I'm like, this guy's fucking hilarious. I'm like, who the fuck is Dolomite? And then uh, the rest is history. Uh, and then been a fan since. So in saying that, he hadn't played the Dolomite character for. 20 years and then he does the character for the insane clown posse movie the insane clown posse movie but here's the thing it kicks it off that whole fan base sees rudy ray moore there's a whole there's a whole resurgence in like rudy ray moore fandom i guess um because he does a fucking sequel the third official sequel dolomite sequel called dolomite explosion uh in 2002 wow uh yeah I've never seen it. I this I was looking it up, and I was that's the first time I heard of it. I'd never heard of it either. No, so I I do need to see it. I'm sure it's nothing as I'm sure Rudy's great, but I'm I'm almost positive it's not gonna have the same charm as those '70s flicks. But uh, there's one more called Shaolin Dolomite, which <laughs> is a loose sequel. And but so they okay, so this is just a recut version of this '86 Taiwanese kung fu flick called Renze Da, aka Ninja: The Final The Final Duel. And basically, what they did was recut the movie, overdub it, and insert shots of Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> Oh, it's Kung Pao. Yeah, as Dolomite. Oh Holy God. shit. Yeah, so... All right, I, I gotta at least track that one, and that sounds wacky as hell. I, I, It sounds ridiculous. You know, and unfortunately, you know, Rudy left us in uh, 2008 at the age of 81. Fuck. That's honestly older than I thought. He lived such a long, rich life, though. Like, yeah, yeah. I was. He probably lived hard too. So living to eighty-one is pretty impressive. Yeah, but also you can't kill entertainers. Like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, here we are talking about it. Also, I think I I stopped myself in the beginning of the episode, but like. I had I almost I had a chance to meet him, but I didn't know who he was before that. Like at the time, I didn't know who Rudy Ray Moore was or really what Dolomite was or anything. But I did see him at the convention. <laughs> but I just didn't go to meet him because I was like, I don't know who that is. And then it clicked later. I laid eyes on him. I know. No, it just sucks. I'm thinking I always think about things like that. And I'm like, fuck, I should. I, I wish I knew or I, you know, I wish I could have shook his hand and, and talked to him for even five minutes because um, these the legendary we're talking here yeah i mean these characters i feel like i mean if it's 2020 and we're still talking about them i i feel like in uh 2077 hopefully people are still talking about them then i guess is what i'm trying to say oh yeah no absolutely well we'll have nuked ourselves so we won't have to worry about it <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not shoot the fucking dolomite movies into outer space just so they're there yeah why not? And then when they come crashing back to Earth, uh, hopefully somebody, if anybody's alive, they can uh, watch them and, and have a few laughs. That way when we start over, we don't have any of that any racist bullshit going on. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Aliens trace it back to Earth and they find nobody there. They're like, fuck, we can't get any more. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> we came here for more Dolomite movies. What do you talk? What do you mean he's gone? What do you mean you're all dead? What do you mean everyone's gone? <laughs> It'll be like that episode of uh, Tales from the Dark Side when Gavin, um, who's, the, who's the dad from Christmas? 
story. Gavin, um, ah, shit, I always forget his name. Anyway, him and the uh, the mayor from Ghostbusters created this series like in the 60s and never finished it. And it's like in the radio transmission or the television transmissions are shot into space. And years later, like two decades later, this alien comes to Earth and is like, you need to finish this uh, series because we don't know the ending. <laughs> and they basically pay these guys to uh, to finish the, the show. And I thought that was such a good episode. Anyway, that's also the plot of a Futurama episode. <laughs> Is it really? I wonder if they took it from them. It's probably exactly, you know, that. It's probably inspired directly from this. It's uh, the, the aliens from Omicron, Percy I-8, intercept like an ancient sitcom um, from like the 2000s or something. And then show up to Earth. And they're like, we demand to see the, <laughs> the end of this series. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll be tackling that eventually with uh, talks from the dark side, guys. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I just want to talk about Cliff Rockmore real quick. Uh, he directed this film. He also um, and wrote it and wrote it, and he also directed Human Tornado um, and wrote Disco Godfather. And he produced all three of these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew of a wrestler named Human Tornado, and uh, there definitely should have been one named Disco Godfather if there hasn't already. So yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's get into Petey Weistrow, the Devil's son-in-law. <laughs> Fucking wacky ass movie. Yeah, let's dive straight into this. Uh, straight to hell, I suppose, right? <laughs> we open up in hell with one of Rudy's patented uh, speeches here. Oh man, he is fucking sliming and jiving over here, man. He's he's talking about fucking being in hell and about to lay it down on you, like how the fuck he got there and shit. <laughs> and then it ju- he's like and, and then it and then it just cuts to like a florida hurricane well yeah yeah he's explaining his birth basically he's like yeah he goes oh it was the day of that great miami florida storm and it cuts to this fucking house with everything shaking <laughs> and the wind blowing outside and lots of stock footage yeah of, oh yeah palm trees blowing in the wind it cuts to this fucking like this cabin this dude and his wife are in there and this and his wife is pregnant in the bed and she's got this enormous <laughs> belly. She looks like she's gonna die as soon as she gives birth. It is gigantic. <laughs> and it's just a barrage of like one-liner after one-liner. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, this this doctor comes in. I, I gotta make a comment about this guy. Uh, J.B. Barron, by the way, from he was also in the Human Tornado. Yes. He is this racist fucking sheriff in the Human Tornado uh, that goes after Dolomite and he catches Dolomite in bed with his wife, and she goes, "He made me do it," <laughs> and and this guy just fucking has his like a uh, crony blow her away, and then Dolomite runs outside buck naked. Rudy Ray Moore is just having his dick flapping all over the place. <laughs> And he jumps over, like, these hedges down this hill, and the movie literally pauses, and Rudy has, like, a voiceover goes, Hey, you didn't think I really did that. Let's see it again. And it rolls back and says instant replay, and this motherfucker rolls down a hill buck naked as Ernie Hudson, in one of his first films, pulls up in his car and fucking they drive off. Wow, that was a lot. Welcome to Rudy Ray Moore, Connor. Gee, wow. Uh, but yeah, he's the doctor, and he's like, Oh, he's like, oh, what are you giving birth to, an elephant? And she's like, what? No. She's like, are you implying I had sex with an elephant? The the dude says that. He's like, you say my wife fucked an elephant? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so then the doctor, he starts uh, delivering the baby. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. There, again, we talked about this in the beginning. There's a lot of these stereotypical things that run throughout this movie that 
<laughs> did not age well at all. No. Well, it, did, it didn't age well, and, like, I feel like we're the wrong crowd to give any proper insight on it. Yeah. Or try to explain it away. So, like, our best, like, we're just saying, there it is, and we're not going to do much. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of watermelon jokes, and that's all we're going to say. Peppered throughout. Yeah, it's a recurring gag. We'll probably talk about one other one, but that's it. And, that, yeah, after that, the doctor reaches in, he goes, he, he bit me. <laughs> Pulls out a full-grown fucking kid (laughs) in a diaper. (laughs) He comes out. He's like, I'll teach you to fucking spank me, motherfucker. And he jumps on him and, like, starts choking him to death. (laughs) And then he goes, uh, the dad comes in and he goes, ah, he's like, oh, I know you're you're the one that disturbed me every night of my sleep. (laughs) So you hit me with your dick. He goes to beat the shit out of his dad. And the mom immediately is like, oh, wait, hold on. She's like, knock that shit off. She's like, uh, your name's Petey Wheatstraw. And then the theme song kicks up. Oh, it's so fucking good. Petey Wheatstraw, Petey Wheatstraw. Petey Wheatstraw. It's all okay. I wanted to make a note too. I forgot to mention that these are the first movies to feature like, uh, well, the black exploitation genre itself is the first to feature like full funk and soul uh, soundtracks uh, in film. So there you go. Oh man, I love it. It's just like really. I mean, I love this movie either way, but uh, the music really just adds something to the uh, the whole feel of the film. Oh man, there's one scene in particular that the music elevated what was happening so much I could not stop laughing. I know. I mean, it gets you it gets you off your feet. You like you want to dance. Yeah, it's all super upbeat and happy. It's all funk, dude. And like when you think of the '70s, that's what I think of. I think of fucking funk. No, me too, for sure. In a uh, Black Lightning, every time there was an action sequence, they played music like you'd see in this movie, and it's fucking awesome. Ah. Or like. Luke Cage is another good example. Yes, I think all the Luke Cage action sequences were pretty much uh, inspired by like movies like this. Absolutely. Uh, how did we even miss that? That's like a huge. Yeah. That's a huge, huge uh, one uh, that you can uh, kind of actually you can overlay that right over the genre to tell you the truth, and it works perfect. Yeah. Season two is a little heavy, but yes, it's it's pretty. It's a fun show too. No, for sure. So then we, uh, we as as the credits roll, and we get treated to this Petey Wheatstraw theme. Uh, we see uh, Petey getting the hell beat out of him by some bullies, and this uh, this bum Bantu watching this bum. He's a fuck. He's like a fucking uh, uh, a Shaolin monk. Well, he's dressed like a damn bum at first. This reminded me so much of the opening of uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's getting bullied, and the guy teaches him the Buddhist palm. Hey, it could be. Could be a little. Uh little nod who knows i i love the way they 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 work this in right because we're not even through the credits like all of this shit happens through the the intro credits yeah it's perfect oh yeah it's a good way to set up the film and uh get that all in there without just you know text on a black screen yeah text on a black screen or just like tack it on for whatever you know exactly so this guy bantu's like you gotta you know i'm gonna teach you the ways of kung fu or whatever and he does and there's like a montage of like them fighting and he's using weapons and he's like cutting up fucking cucumbers and shit anyway it's great and you know it's the it's your whole exploitation kung fu movie sequence in the title sequence to to give you the backstory of his his kung fu abilities which by the way is a running theme in rudy's movies that he always just knows kung fu and just yeah really uh over exaggerates it with the oh 
Oh yeah. I would argue that everyone in these movies knows kung fu. Is that he knows it. Be- he just knows it better. Everybody from Rudy's crew knows how to do kung fu. Yeah, like all the fight sequences. Like, all right, all right everyone's a martial arts expert. Jimmy and Ted know how to fucking fight too, man. Yeah. I mean, honestly, somewhere in the MDU, Devon's ghost, uh, the, just that movie, just shivered. Like something, a chill ran up its spine after this whole kung fu uh, uh, teaching. Uh, you know, Bantu's like, and that's it. You're a fucking kung fu master now, kiddo. What are you going to do? And he's like, well, I didn't want to do this. I kind of wanted to become a comedian. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, you're a comedian now. Go ahead, kiddo. (laughs) And we just flash forward to Rudy Ray Moore doing stand-up comedy, making fun of some woman's ass. I fucking laughed so hard I almost fell out of my chair. It opens up with he's like, my, 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 what an ass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love me a woman with some big ass. I'm like, fucking hey, dude. He roast this guy in the crowd. He was like, shut your ancient ugly ass up. <laughs> What's that woman's husband trying to defend her? He goes, he goes, if you don't shut up, he's like, I'm gonna take that other woman and beat you to death with her titty. <laughs> just, just like fucking vicious. The crowd's loving it. I could hardly. I'm laughing so hard now. I'm not even actually watching it. I'm just remembering it. And um, oh yeah, it is uh, glorious. It reminded me so much of the Play Haters Ball from Chappelle Show. Sure. And I had to think like, yeah, ob- that's very obviously a send back to all this stuff. But like, I could not stop thinking about Charlie Murphy just sitting there shaking his fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like Eddie Murphy got a lot of his uh, material from this too. Yeah. If you watch any of those behind the scenes of that Dolomite movie, I mean, Eddie Murphy and his brother Charlie were huge uh, Rudy Ray Moore fans and Charlie especially yeah and I, you know I watched a uh, inter- it, not an interview it was like a round table that all the actors were on uh, when the movie came out and uh, they were talking about that how Charlie was trying to get this movie made for years and unfortunately they weren't able to actually get it done until after Charlie had uh, passed away and uh, Eddie Murphy had actually dedicated the film to his brother. Oh, there you go. Still can't believe he's gone too. Like it's it's. I know. I know. Super bummed out when I heard that. What a loss. I think Charlie would have played the part that Wesley Snipes did, right? What's his name? Uh, do um. Uh, the, the the director character, right? Yeah, yeah, the director. Yeah, I forget his name. It's escaping me. I forget. You want to plot crunch this thing? Oh shit. Oh yeah. I guess we never did that, right? We kind of just we started rolling into it. <laughs> you want to give one Connor? You want uh, me or Joe to do it? Well, Connor's the fucking the devil skeleton in law. So let him do it yeah yeah uh (laughs) the movie is mostly supposedly about the escapades of a comedian who makes a deal with the devil but like there is so much shit that happens in this movie that that's a really inadequate synopsis (laughs) i mean what do you even say like that's a good start though but it's like okay so pd wheatstraw like we were talking about he's born and he's kind of a badass from birth and uh he wants to be a comedian and eventually some shit happens that ends up getting him and a bunch of people killed, and to return to life, he makes a deal with the devil, uh, on the condition that, uh, not only will he get, like, this all-powerful cane for some reason from the devil, but he also has to marry the devil's daughter. I totally missed that part. And, uh, from there, shenanigans ensue. In, in oh, yeah. And to, to add insult to injury, she's also ugly as fuck, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she spends most of the movie with a sheet over her face. This movie, like, I I don't want to get into like a final it's not like a final thought thing or anything but like it it feels like a couple movies and but I'm totally fine with it. Yes. Like once something 
resolves itself, <laughs> another issue has to be dealt with. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, like, there's all these little, like, ridiculous subplots going on and, like, little mini arcs that characters have and these little distractions. Like, this, this movie's very busy. So, uh, my bad about, you know, that's usually my job to be like, hey, it's time to plot crunch, and I totally fucking whiffed on that one. So, my apologies. Well, it's the start of a new season, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know. Everybody gets one. Everybody <laughs> Don't fuck up again or you're fired. <laughs> so, yeah, the what it, wow, what a fucking ass. Look at that ass. I love a woman with a big ass. And then we're introduced to uh, Sheila and Jimmy. And Sheila is, this is our only scene in the movie, but she's like Petey's squeeze or whatever. And Jimmy is like kind of one of uh, Petey's right-hand man. It's like his manager, I guess. Like uh, They never actually call him that, but I think that's the implication. I think so. Him and Ted are like, Ted is like his like quote-unquote roadie or like gear guy, I guess. I guess Jimmy would be his his uh, manager. They're all buddies either way. Yeah, he's always doing the paperwork and shit. And then there's Nell, um, who is... Uh, Petey's actual girlfriend. I guess. Well, the one that's trying to fuck Petey, and Petey's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's also like a road manager or whatever. But I, I love this scene where Sheila is all over Rudy, and he is just like not having it. He's, he's got to go. He's got to catch a plane. <laughs> he's being so charmingly evasive. Yes. He keeps signaling to Jimmy, like, let's get the fuck out of here. He's holding Sheila, and he's like, oh, baby, I wish you could come with me or whatever. But behind her back, he's like waving Jimmy on to like get her out of there. Yeah. <laughs> And he does. <laughs> yeah, and then we uh, are introduced to our... our, our uh, there, there's really, like, two sets of antagonists in this film. Yeah. There's the devil, Lucifer, which we'll get to in a little while. And his daughter. And his daughter. Uh, but also, the human antagonists, I guess I'll call them, Leroy and Skillet. Yeah. Were these guys, like, comedians in real life? Yes. Yes. I, I, I don't know a ton about them, uh, but they uh, had routines, comedy routines, much like Rudy Ray Moore. And uh, you see that it, towards the end of the film, they have a little bit of uh, what I can only assume was part of their, their actual stand-up. Yeah, it's very, like, Red Fox-type comedy. Well, they all, they all came up together with Red Fox and LaWanda Page, so they all kind of knew each other right. on the scene. But these guys are fucking hilarious uh, all throughout, especially uh, Skillet. Just kills me. This guy is shitting his pants the entire film. Scared Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> they're, just these, they're just these sweaty lumps the entire film. Like, they're just always looking stressed out and like, just like out of control. What does he call it? Like, the fat, sloppy side of shit motherfuckers or some shit? Yeah. <laughs> Something along those lines. Something like that. <laughs> they're basically the owners of this rival club, and they're uh, making a deal with this Mr. White, uh, this white guy, this white investor, who's giving them $100,000 for this fucking big show they're going to put on. He's investing in them to open up another club and get uh, talent in there by, like, the end of the week or some shit because right. they have three months where they can make a shit ton of money because there's no big acts coming into the area, and they make the mistake of not realizing that P.D. Wheatstraw, this big, huge comedian, is coming in, uh, like, two days after they're going to open. Right, exactly. And he would absolutely annihilate them. Yes. This character, Mr. White, he's like, well, you know, I hope you uh, can bring in a crowd. He's like, because... Uh, Otherwise, I'll become the most dangerous man in town. And they, they're like, oh, don't worry about it, Mr. White. We'll, we'll, we'll be selling tickets left and right. Yeah. Mr. White also looks like a less threatening Kurtwood Smith. 
little bit. He's just he's not as scary, but the appearance is there. So of course now you know Leroy and Skillet and their secretary are, are all like, yeah, we're gonna bring in the money, baby, because you know they don't know that Petey's on his way, and we cut immediately to the airport with uh, Petey and Jimmy coming out and meeting up with Ted, and uh, they uh, they head right to the radio station for an interview, and Petey's talking up like, yeah, you know this is gonna be the biggest show you've ever seen. <laughs> You're downplaying that dude because he's fucking jiving this whole time. He's like rhyming. He's like, I don't even remember what he says exactly, but it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, he's definitely doing his bit where he's he's rhyming everything and and really selling the uh, the event. And we cut to Skillet, just like, I guess, doing some paperwork at his office. He just happens to have the radio on, and he's like, oh, shit. He's like, oh, Leroy, Leroy. <laughs> and he fucking waddles into the other room. Leroy's lining up a shot in a billiards game. Yeah, rack man, rack him up. He's like, fuck, what are we going to do? Well, if, well, first he's got to yell at Skillet for making him miss his shot. Well, that too. But you're right. Then they're all panicked, <laughs> like, oh, my God, Petey Wheatstraw's in town. Oh, we're fucked. So he cuts to the club where Petey's going to do his routine. Stevie. Stevie's Den. I miss this guy's name. Well, it's Stevie's Den, so I just assume it's Steve or Stevie. Okay, let's call him Stevie. Right when we get it, right out of the gate in this scene, Dolomite's like, your your fucking dressing room's like a shithouse. Like, I wouldn't wipe my ass in there, (laughs) you know? And then Stevie goes on this whole fucking tie, like this whole toilet paper analogy where he's like, he's like, some motherfuckers look behind them after they take a shit, and those motherfuckers don't trust their own asshole, and they've lost the pe- the path or the truth or some shit. And he keeps like doing the sound effect for like when you're when you're hitting the toilet paper, like yeah, he's going. Brrr. The fucking toilet paper comes out. It's like this whole thing to be like. Just to kind of deter the fact that Dolomite's making a big deal about it, and then at the end, Dolomite's just like, "Yeah, but the dress room's a piece of sh- is a fucking shit house." He's like, "Fuck you." <laughs> My point stands, sir. And then we get introduced officially to Ted mm-hmm. and uh, his little brother Larry, which uh, it was played by Brian L. Rockmore. So I'm assuming that was either. Uh, the director's son or maybe nephew. Sure. Uh, who wants to, you know, help hand out some flyers because he doesn't ever get to do anything with his brother. Mm-hmm. His brother's always out with Petey and Jimmy. He's never in town. He wants to spend time with the guy. And Ted's like, ah, he's like, ah, oh, Larry. He's like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, come on, how often do you get to hang out with your brother? Yeah. So he's like, all right, come on, Larry. Stevie even says he'll pay him a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of the beginning of their side quest that ends up uh, essentially causing the rest of the film to happen. Sure. It goes in a direction I was not expecting. I, my fucking jaw dropped open at a couple parts. So yeah, so Petey just like walks out. He's like, all right, he's going to do something. And these junkies are stripping his fucking car. <laughs> chases them across town they have this like the back of the seat like taken out and one of them's got the tire yeah i was gonna say they really need that seat because they they two people run with this thing across town they pick up a woman on the way (laughs) rudy ray moore takes off his jacket and he's like you junkie motherfuckers he's like i'm gonna kick your fucking ass and this plays out almost like, um... It's like a Benny Hill routine. Yeah, like a Benny Hill routine, or even like in Street Trash. It reminded me of Street Trash, when they're throwing the guy's dick around. A little bit, because he's chasing them, and like I said, they end up with the seat. They pick a woman up on the street, and she faints on the cow- on the chair. Oh, yeah, they run into her, and she fucking flips up onto the fucking thing in the, in the, on the, the seat, and they just run off with her. Yeah, and the other guy, he's running, he's got the tire, and these two guys are walking, like, you know, the classic, like... 
glass uh, uh, gag, but it's a, a bunch of eggs. Yes. <laughs> they throw the eggs in the air. They go flying all over the place. The, the eggs get a slow motion treatment. Like, you see them fly into the air. They're all <laughs> spraying everywhere. It's very slapstick shit, and I love it. And then, of course, as soon as uh, Petey catches up, there, there's this fence they could easily climb over, in my opinion. <laughs> but they don't, and then he beats the living shit out of them. <laughs> They're probably winded as fuck, too. Now that, too. Yeah, probably. He kung fu's the fuck out of them, dude, completely. With like over the top Bruce Lee sounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that the fight sequences in the movie are like they tend to be mostly just single shot takes of like these you know these best effort fight sequences that sometimes have hilariously off timed hits. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean he's gotten better at it by now. This is his third movie. If you saw Dolomite, he really didn't have it down yet. <laughs> he was really you know you want to talk about hits that aren't connecting. Watch that movie. <laughs> This film in particular, or this scene in particular, there's no, like, there's no biff hits, right? Like, anytime somebody gets punched, there's no, like, or anything, for whatever reason. The cherry on top, after he beats their asses, uh, he brings them back to his car, and he makes them fix it, and he has, like, a crowd of people. He's like, don't you forget their faces! He's like, they're the ones going around your neighborhood stealing shit! Yeah. And the whole crowd's cheering, like, ah, you fucking assholes! Can you imagine Batman taking a robber back to the bank and having him return the bills one by one, just publicly shaming him like this? But that's what I'm saying! He's like Black Batman! <laughs> He's cleaning up the fucking neighborhood! Put my car back the way it was! And they do it! Yep. And then we, uh, we, we go to Ted and Larry, kind of putting these signs up promoting Petey's uh, big show coming up in a couple days mm -hmm. and we get introduced uh, in the process to a couple of uh, Leroy and Skillet's goons specifically Scarface Willie. Scarface Willie's great. Yes, and and he literally has a scar on his face. It's right. It's on the nose big time. Yeah, he's got a big old Kylo Ren going <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> He fought this guy in the woods with a fought this guy in the woods with a lightsaber and got hit across the face. It's a whole thing. But then the next movie, it changed locations. <laughs> they they take the signs back to uh, Leroy and Skillet, and they're just like, you know, we can't let this happen. You need to take care of this. And uh, basically, they're like, okay, we think that Petey's hiding at Nell's because they have a they have an idea that they had a history together. So Leroy's like, all right, I'm gonna call him first and see if uh, he's gonna stand down. And. Uh, <laughs> They have this, like, running joke throughout the film, uh, kind of like Joe was alluding to earlier, where Nell, just, she just wants to jump fucking uh, Petey's bones the entire time. And he's like, ah, you know, I don't mix business with pleasure. And she's like, ah, come on. He's like, all right, maybe it won't be too bad. And as soon as they're about to make out the phone rings, she goes, this better be a quick call. And that, that joke comes up a few times. It's pretty fucking hilarious. And it's uh, it's Leroy. But before that, he he like puts a tail on Petey and them first before he even calls them. And then he calls them. Well, as soon as Petey picks up the phone and hears it's Leroy, he's like, Oh, I'm not doing business with you, you rat soup eating motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, where the fuck's my money you owe me? And he's like, I'll tell you what. What a fucking name to call somebody. He's like, I'll tell you what. You can have it back under a condition. He's like, motherfucker, no condition he's like you're gonna give me my fucking money back and that's the end of it i love that these guys have history but leroy and skillet did not even foresee that pd would ever come back to town <laughs> i don't know like if you owe this guy money and he's such a big act how the fuck did you forget that he was coming to town <laughs> right well, these guys obviously don't make the smartest decisions. They're, they're taking a $100,000 check from some guy who's basically a mobster. Essentially, yeah. But yeah, uh, he hangs up, and uh, Leroy, in, in a fit of rage, is just kind of like, 
All right, uh, you still following Ted and his brother? He's like, all right, fuck him up. Dolomite hangs up the phone. He's like, Anel tries to go to fuck him again. He's like, romance without the finances, a nuisance. <laughs> he walks out of the fucking room. Great line. Um, and then we get to the part of the film where, uh, like Connor said, it gets incredibly dark for like five minutes. It does this a few times, though, and it's it's usually actually around one of these characters. Yeah, it really got me both times, to tell you the truth. I did not expect either of them. So, Scarface Willie, and who's the other guy? I don't know if he gets a name. I just always referred to him as like a goon. Yeah, the goon. They go to Ted's house, and Ted and his brother are on the porch, and Ted is basically like talking to, to Larry. Larry's his brother, little, the little kid. He's like, you know, your mother told me, or mama told me that you're not going to fucking school and you're not, like, not doing anything right and if you want to be like a basketball player you know you got to start fucking you know being a good kid basically and, and like staying in school and stuff so then fucking scarface willie and the other guy roll up on the house and they go to like beat up ted he's like yeah we're gonna break your fucking arm or whatever and um they go at it and ted fucking beats the shit out of both of them but then scarface willie pulls a gun out on him and larry goes and kicks willie in the stomach and then Willie fucking shoots Larry right in the chest, point blank. Yeah! My fucking jaw dropped. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it's hammy afterwards, but in the moment, you're like, oh, fuck. Well, it's not even that hammy afterwards, to tell you the truth. They go full echo, like, no, Larry, 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 Larry. Yeah, and, like, he's making these, like, overly exaggerated painful expressions and clutching his chest and slowly dropping to his knees. This kid, the last thing he says is, I can't see, and then dies. Yeah, that's horrific. Well, he specifically says, I won't skip school anymore. And then he dies, and it's like, oh my god. And Ted and the whole family are surrounding him, screaming, and in pain and terror, really. It's really fucked up. And then they uh, they, they take his body away, and uh, we go to the next morning, and it's the funeral. It's an entire funeral service. They're taking him out of the church. They just had the wake and the service and everything. They're going to go bury this kid. They're bringing him down the stairs of this church. And fucking Scarface Willie and his gang gets out of the car and Tommy guns these people into yeah. oblivion. She makes them into Swiss fucking cheese. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, and there's there's shots of people getting squibbed up all over the place, like mothers, kids, uh, Petey himself, everybody. Uh, everybody gets a bloody death scene. Yeah, they get a couple blood bags popping off on them, and it looks good for the low for the low budget, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like fuck. It looks like a Godfather movie. <laughs> it's visceral for sure. It's fucking horrific. And you're like, how the fuck? Wow, everybody's just gone. The coffin drops, everybody falls, it tumbles to the ground. Now, this isn't the first time I've seen this film, but the first time I saw this, I'm like, okay, devil's son-in-law, but with that said, how the fuck do you do the rest of the movie now? <laughs> right. And then he walks into frame. Uh, Creighton Duke himself. <laughs> oh my god. The first time I laid eyes on him with his hat on, I was like, holy shit, he is a dead ringer for that actor. PD. How you doing, PD? How you doing? I'm gonna break your fingers now. <laughs> Remember Jason Voorhees, PD? Remember the Necronomicon, PD? If you don't marry my daughter, I'm gonna break your pinkies. <laughs> you gonna read from that book, PD? This guy just casually walks in, all these dead bodies. There's like maybe three people cowering in the corner. Everybody else is dead. And he's like, huh. And he just starts talking to PD. He's like, PD, wake up. 
played by Tito Shaw, by the way. Yes, and so Rudy Ray Moore opens his eyes, and he goes to sit up, and now we're in red-tinted hell. I love this because, obviously, there wasn't a lot of money to do, like, hell, but the way that they do it is really cool because everything's shrouded in darkness, and they just have, like, these hard red lights, like, um, accenting them. It's creepy as fuck. It's, I think it's really well done. It's, yeah, it's very Lynchian. Like, it's just these, it just exists in a void with kind of, you know, indescript props and nothing in the background. Yeah. But yeah, this is where the devil basically lays out his terms for this deal he's about to make with, uh, Petey. Petey's like, cut the shit. He's like, cut the chase. He's like, what the fuck's the deal? And he's like, well, here's a proposition. I'll bring you back. And he's like, wait a second. I remember that shit you did to Adam and Eve, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he also keeps calling him Lou yeah. because uh, they have a gag where he hands him his business card and he's like, what the hell? He's like, Lou Cypher? He's like, eh, it was a printing mistake. I'm Lucifer. I'm actually Lucifer. It's it's pretty great. So, yeah, Lucifer's like, no, 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 no. I got all new cheap moves, man. Here, listen. <laughs> I'm going to bring back you and your family on Earth so you can take your revenge, but... You have to marry my daughter and give her a child. He goes, well, what does she look like? He hands yeah. her like a photo you can't see. And he goes, oh, hell no. He's like, just kill me. He's like, I'm not marrying this ugly bitch. He just outright refuses. Well, you think that he hands her a picture of Natasha Kinski, but it's not her. It's, I. we don't see her. I guess it's Buzz's girlfriend or something because he's like, this ugly ass fucking bitch. He's like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't ask if she had a fat ass. And, like, that was the deal breaker, right? Right, yeah. And, and Satan's like, all right, well, if you don't want to do it. And then we have this, like, gag where uh, Petey's remembering back to the, the Kung Fu Master Bantu, and he's just going, wisdom, use your wisdom. Yeah, wisdom. For Bantu to make the callback while Petey is in hell talking to the devil. <laughs> right. <laughs> And deciding whether or not he should get his revenge on those who wronged him and his friends. He's like, all right, fine, yeah, I'll do it, I'll marry her. Yeah, but the whole time he has this thing in his head where it's all right, I'm going to get these powers and I'm going to go get my revenge and then I'll outsmart the devil in some way later. I'll worry about it later, though. Yeah, I'll come in on top in this one. <laughs> I hate to break it to you there, Petey, but this isn't the chilling adventures of Sabrina. No. You're not going to come out on top. So Lou snaps his fingers and literally everything is reversed. Like the bullets come out of everybody and go back into the guns and everybody's blood goes back into their bodies. And I think like Willie and his gang are like transported away or something. And the rest of the service continues. Well, they they think they did the job oh yeah oh yeah they think they already they killed them it's done and over with uh leroy and skillet are celebrating because they're like no more problems i mean they really just had to take out Petey, but they killed like 20 innocent people in the process they shot them all oh yeah imagine their day like they they shoot these people and there's like a 10 minute black spot like i can't remember anything that happened there what <laughs> happened <laughs> oh my goodness well like even jimmy's like well that was so weird and rudy ray moore is like i'll explain it back at nell's place because that's like kind of where they meet up it's either nell's or the uh or steve's uh a bar so they go back to steve's and ted's like oh you know i gotta go fucking kill willie i gotta avenge my brother or what have you so Petey's like oh you know you know all in time so they basically set this thing up where ted goes down to the club and Petey's there with the other gang members and uh he's like giving him the finger he's like fuck you guys blah 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 and he like runs around into this alley and they follow him and he ends up beating the shit out of most of them but then again he pulls a gun on him and he's like all right motherfucking bruce lee he's like i'm gonna shoot you just like i shot your brother (laughs) yeah and then pd is like behind like a corner and jumps out and these guys are like oh we killed you and they all fucking run away scared and willie 
this is like the funniest scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe not in the movie, but it's up there where Petey grabs Scarface Willie and picks him up and he is so scared he pisses and shits himself. <laughs> he does a big old shit piss. Yeah. But it's not just like you're thinking to yourself like, oh, so yeah, whatever. He shits his pants like off screen or whatever. No, they show him piss all over the front of his pants and you hear like farting noises like he's shitting his drawers. And then he passes out. He faints and then... P.D. Richard starts punching the shit out of him and, and wakes him up and he runs away. <laughs> he's punching the stomach as he's just limp. Like He deserves it, for sure. He does. He's a piece of shit. The, the following scene fucking might actually top that one because we go to Leroy and Skillet and Willie and, the, and his henchmen are all sitting there. Leroy, Skillet, all the fucking henchmen have handkerchiefs over their nose while Willie's explaining what happened. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I didn't see that first. <laughs> and then when I finally realized everyone had handkerchiefs over their face, I fucking cracked up. This is, And it goes on the whole scene one guy faints <laughs> willie is like catatonic and leroy is just like what happened he's like you said he was dead you said you shot him so he should be dead and he's just like shaking his head and nodding his head and stuff and one of the guys like passes out because it's the shit smell is like too overpowering holy shit that guy hits the floor so fucking hard <laughs> Like, it's not a stunt double, it's a single shot. This guy, he just falls straight backwards and eats shit. And the henchmen, they're, they're trying to keep a brave face on, but Leroy and Skillet, they are just, like, not having it all. They're like, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> Leroy's like, hey, Willie, get the fuck out of here and clean yourself up. And Willie gets up, and he's got this massive diarrhea stain on the back of his pants. <laughs> Complete with, like, a fucking, like, timpani hit or some shit. <laughs> Yeah, sad trombone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so periodically through this film, like, Lucifer, like, calls Petey on the phone, and they have, like, phone conversations, and he basically, he calls Petey at one point, and he's he's like, hey, um... There's a cane, and this cane will give you, like, all of my the powers that I have to do your bidding, your revenge. So, Petey calls up, uh, Jimmy. Yeah, he calls up Jimmy, and he call and he's like, he's like, oh, he's, he's like in the middle of fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you hear his, like, whoever he's with just on, off screen, oh, oh, yeah. and he stops to pick up, and he's like, oh, come on, you gotta be, I gotta be on a graveyard, are you kidding me? He's like, all right. <laughs> So they go there, and this guy's scared out of his fucking mind. Oh, it's fucking hilarious. There, and then there's, like, this wino there, this drunk guy. This is a great bit because he's <laughs> he's walking through this fucking cemetery, and he ends up at this headstone, and he thinks it's his house, and he's, like, knocking on the headstone for, and, like, asking for his wife to let him in. It's fucking hilarious. It's a great bit. And then he ends up falling into a fucking open grave. It, it sounds like he falls in a mine shaft. <laughs> He heads down there. Yeah, he falls in there. He hits the car table. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, that fucking car table flips. Who the hell is this? <laughs> when are they going to get a new table that's just resistant to, bo- you know, the the weight of a falling body? Hey, man, they, they, they fucking bolted it down. I don't know. Maybe they should make it out of some kind of fucking steel or something. I mean, it doesn't matter at the end of the day whether the table breaks or not. P-Head's picking up this motherfucker and breaking it over his back. Yeah, well, that's what happens. It hits Whoever hits that table, like, gets ripped apart by everybody playing poker. He, they're He's like the fucking cocktail weenie now. He had drops a winning hand and the fucking body crashes down. <laughs> All the cards fly everywhere. I mean, P had if he if he finally won a game and this guy that this this bum ruined his his winning hand, he's getting fucking eviscerated. Oh yeah, right right in front of everybody. I mean, you know, corpse fucker's gonna get in there once the body's uh, torn to pieces and, and do his job. You know, he's got to get a little pleasure too, right? Uh, that's after everybody leaves. You know, there's an open eye socket still hanging around. Well, you know, Comdar might hang around. He, you know, he he gets a little enjoyment out of it somehow. <laughs> it's 
So, so Petey, Petey and, uh, Petey and Jimmy show up to the fucking graveyard, and what is this outfit that Rudy Moore is wearing? He's in so many ridiculous outfits, this movie. It's like a, it's almost like a Scottish golfing outfit, but it's like pink and brown. I would even argue like Swedish or or something out of Holland even. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's fucking styling, but I'm just like, what do you what you Linderhosen? You did this whole get up to go to the graveyard? Right. It's the only time he wears it. Right. And and they find the guy in the fucking open grave and Jimmy thinks it's like a zombie or a ghost or some shit. And he's like, "Oh, I'm cold." <laughs> And uh, Petey's like, well, that's because all the dirt's not on. And he starts, like, kicking some on top of the guy. He says, he's like, well, you, well fool, you're cold because you kicked all the dirt off yourself. <laughs> so he kicks it back on him. He just, like, pushes it in with his foot. And then they find the cane under, like, a fucking tire wrapped in some, like, satin cloth. Yeah, I guess. Was that Petey's tire from his car or not? Right? It can't be. That's that's what I thought for half a second, and then I was like, no, they fixed his car. It was just, I, it was probably the same prop tire. This is some Clash of the Titans shit, right? Like, when Zeus sends down the fucking stuff for, uh... Well, we talking about the one with our friend... <laughs> Or are we talking about the original? Oh, I'm talking about Harry Ham- the Harry Hamlin classic. Oh, okay. I mean, if Zeus is involved, uh, there's always some kind of bullshit going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's Satan this time. That's why it's under a dirty rubber tire and not in front of, like, a statue of a god. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he didn't give him cheat items. <laughs> well, I, okay, he does. <laughs> this thing, the, the powers, I, I guess, okay, we know it's, like, Lucifer's uh, powers in it. It's never fully explained, but this thing uh, ha- ha- gives Rudy some fucking incredible powers throughout the film. It's the uh, it's the Wabajack from Oblivion. <laughs> Kinda, right? Yeah, a little bit. It's literally plot... Whatever the plot needs, this fucking thing can do. It's a metal detector. It it makes people talk when they don't want to. It it pushes people away. It does stuff. It defeats the devil himself, question mark. It can find bombs. Yeah, it can find bombs. Metal detector, that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. So, uh, I I think we cut to, like, Leroy and um, Skillet. The construction's full underway on this club, right? And there's people all over the place, and fucking Leroy's, like, yelling at everybody. And here comes Mr. White to check on his uh, investments, see if they're spending that uh, check well. See what the progress is, yeah. Bitches leave. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in and he's like, oh, yeah, so uh, I heard about this Petey Wheat Straw. I thought there wasn't going to be any competition. What do you got to say about that? And they're like, oh, 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 we took care of it. We killed him. I mean, wait, uh... He won't. We we killed. We killed any idea of him playing, uh, any any events around the area. And he's like, oh, uh, okay, that sounds good to me. Save me a table. My wife loves this shit. That's not fishy phrasing. Bye. No. <laughs> you think Mister White cares if these people killed anyone? I don't think so. Absolutely not. So he leaves, and he gives he gives uh, Scarface Willie Leroy gives Scarface Willie a bunch of shit. He's like, you got one more chance. Make sure he's dead. And they're like, I'm telling you, boss, he's a fuck ghost or something and he's like don't give me that supernatural shit he's like get the fuck on get out of here go kill him so then we cut back to stevie's den they're all just bullshitting and hanging out like oh what are we gonna do about uh leroy and skillet and then the fucking this is a weird scene it's weird this woman comes in and she's like yeah uh i'm gonna sing a song for you more or less and it is like the worst singing i've ever heard it's completely unsolicited too because nobody even knows who she's there for and they're just like i don't know she's singing for you 
and she's singing Sam Cooke's Frankie and Johnny, and it's like this monotone ass, like awful, uh, you know, cadence she has. It's funny as hell. I just don't really understand why it's there. It's a very esoteric gag, but the, I think that what makes it funny after it's annoying for you know the first two and a half minutes <laughs> is that it goes on for like three and a half more and she ne- it's the same four fucking lines over <laughs> and over and over and at one point there's a giant action sequence going on around her and she's still doing it <laughs> well yeah because like you were we were just kind of joking about uh the cane starts like trembling and I, I forgot what happened next. I forgot about wh- where we're going. I was like, oh, wait, does he, like, make her sing beautifully? I'm like, oh, wait, no. So this thing, like a metal detector, leads Petey to the bathroom. And in between two urinals is a trash can and a fucking ticking time bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and hit the face that Rudy Ray Moore makes here is fucking hilarious. Oh! He comes running out. By the way, this dynamite is just like paper towel tubes painted red with like a paper clock <laughs> face that's all bent up and yes! shit. They couldn't and even he- get a fucking clock and just tape it to this thing. <laughs> or just like cardboard or something. I don't know. So he comes out with this bomb and he like trips and falls and it like goes flying and and they're playing hot potato with it and it falls on the ground and they're waiting for it to explode. The whole time this woman just won't <laughs> stop fucking singing. Frankie and Johnny were lovers. But it's more like this. Frankie and Johnny are lovers. <laughs> like over and over again like Connor was saying. And then Rudy Ray Moore after the bomb doesn't explode. He's like, oh shit, okay. Gets up, picks it up and, and then it starts ticking again. He's like, ah! <laughs> It's alive, he says, and then runs outside. And then, you know, of course, Victor Frankenstein steps out from behind a curtain and says, Damn you. Damn you. You rang? Oh. Is that a watch on top of that explosive device? (laughs) Is that a timepiece? Bye. So, uh, Petey runs outside, and he has this fucking time bomb, and he just lobs it at this truck full of watermelons, and it's just fucking, the, the truck doesn't explode, but all of the watermelons explode. There was a, there's a truck parked next door that just is full of watermelons, and he throws it into it, and it's this giant fucking explosion. It's like a watermelon graboid exploded, because everybody gets soaked with the shit. The crossing guard, the kids on the street. The crossing guard's the fucking best, because he's like, he's like dance directing traffic. Yes. And like, he turns mid-gesture and gets hit with watermelon freezes and spins around slowly (laughs) and starts doing it again like starts directing again i mean the really fucked up part is walter peck's there i mean he's only a kid he's walking down the street and he gets plowed with this shit right in the face (laughs) it's his first run in with getting splattered by something out of the sky i was gonna say it happens everyone else gets hit except him he's like oh it's ufl dude unidentified flying liquid i think you just coined it so now the club is open leroy and skillet's club is open i just want to note this band real quick because it's fucking it's fucking grooving oh my god it's awesome it's like a six piece there's four people there's a there's a dude on sax there's like three trumpeter or trumpeteers however you want to say that trumpeters trumpeteers and like there's a chick playing fucking trombone and the electric piano at the same time and then there's like a drummer i don't know it but it's fucking grooves it's it's cool they're killing it yeah it's really good and then we have uh leroy and skillet for the first time in the film and the last time in the film actually dressed pretty nice they have suits on letting people in and then the, yeah they dress into like they dress into something weird later i guess it's like part of their routine that's I, that's what i'm thinking those pajamas their stage attire is bizarre <laughs> <laughs> yeah their stage pajamas exactly with the fucking the baby uh the baby uh <laughs> 
safety pin in the fucking crotch. The paperclip in the crotch is really strange. It's like a fly Tweedledee and Tweedledum almost. Yes. So Mr. White comes in with his wife and her and her friend. Who's full of lewds. <laughs> this woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this bitch is sleepwalking into this club, dude. Yeah. And then uh, Petey actually gets to infiltrate the club uh, with a disguise of sunglasses. And that is <laughs> sunglasses and an accent. And they're Jamaican. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Like, Jimmy doesn't have glasses on. They know what Jimmy looks like. How the fuck does that fool them? Scarface Willie goes, haven't I seen you before? He's like, no, man, you never fucking see me before. He's like, step aside, you scratch-faced son of a bitch. <laughs> and he just glides <laughs> into the club, walks in. It's fucking great. You you would think, if you if you, for some reason you have not seen this film, that we're, we're, we're approaching the end, right? No. Well, the end of this arc, anyway. <laughs> There's a lot more to, ha- to, to come still. Yeah, we're almost done with movie A. <laughs> So Petey goes in there with uh, Ted and and Nell and uh, Jimmy, and they're watching the open act. They let the first music act end, no problem. Well, then Lady Reed comes up, and she's like, all right, introducing Leroy and Skillet! And then they come out in those fucking pajama costumes. (laughs) And this is where the fun begins. So So Petey and Jimmy are, like, sitting in the audience, and he's got the cane, and I'm telling you that the whoever wrote Bruce Almighty totally fucking dogged this. I could see it. I, I can see it maybe being parallel thinking, but I can also, yeah, like, this is very blatant. Because it's fuck, it, like, it's, it's like spot on. So he uses the powers of hell this time anyway, but he makes them say things that they wouldn't normally say. <laughs> he makes them eviscerate the audience. Yeah, pretty much. He's, he says some shit to, like, uh, Mr. White's wife. He's like, why don't you close your fucking legs or some shit or open your legs, you're too tight or something. Why'd you come here wearing a blue bedsheet? He's like, we could tell it's a bedsheet, you moron. <laughs> I know a fucking bedsheet when I see one. And then Skillet tries to, like, save it, and he's like, Oh, oh, I I hope we didn't put too much water in your damn drinks, assholes! (laughs) That was my favorite line of this whole sequence. And they say it all with this kind of, like, like, it's a deadpan approach, so, like, their enthusiasm drops, and they go, Hope we didn't water your drinks too much, assholes. (laughs) It, like, cuts away, and people are looking down, and this one dude looks at it and, like, shakes it. And he's like, Oh, fuck you, too. And they they scamper off stage, and they're like, Oh, Check out her next act, Miss Tammy Smalls! And they run off. And this woman gets it worse than they do. I know. Poor Tammy. What did she do, right? I mean, maybe there were some cut scenes we didn't see. I don't know. It's possible. She's singing good. We're we're jamming. And then uh, (laughs) Petey waves his fucking pimp cane. And her voice just goes, and her fucking weave flies off, and her clothes fly off. <gasps> oh, it's what if? Okay, flies off. Okay, the, the clothes, sure, but that the fucking the hair flies upwards like a UFO. <laughs> yeah, it, it levitates. It was like, Woo. it looks like it got sucked up in a vacuum somewhere. Oh my god, she runs off stage, and, and Leroy and Skillet are shit in their pants. And uh, then Petey's like, all right. We're ending this shit, and he literally causes, like, a hurricane inside, like Uncle Fester opening up one of those books in the fucking library of the Adams Family. <laughs> he makes it fucking snow! He does a carry. Yes! <laughs> There's, like, a point where all this shit's going on, and, like, tables start exploding, and people can't get out, and, uh, Satan's face is, like, transposed over the frame, like, flashing really fast. <laughs> And, well, they're, you know, they're trying to get out, but Willie, he doesn't have the key or some bullshit. Yeah. So Ted comes up behind him. He's like, yeah, you can't find the key, uh, Willie? And he starts beating the shit out of Willie, like, in the alley next door. He's like, oh, I'm going to tear you apart. Oh, yeah. And uh, 
we have this great scene where uh, Ted's beating the shit out of Willie, and then he stops for a moment uh, to catch his breath, and Willie fucking cheats him of his uh, revenge. He pulls out a knife and slits his own stomach. He fucking does seppuku, seppuku, man. Straight up. I was like, what? I love this scene because as silly as the movie gets, like, it is a very clean-cut, like, idea of revenge. Like, yeah, it's hollow and you shouldn't pursue it. And then he just beats the crap in this defenseless guy who just kills himself anyway. That You're right, Connor. That, and that's the fucking punchline is that he did himself in and you now you don't you can't even do what you set out to do but then ted's kind of just okay with that the rest of the movie um he kind of like that his his main goal i suppose whether he was cheated out of it or not has been completed now he's just gonna help pd do some try to pull one over on the devil it's funny you say that because like ted really doesn't even mourn he has like one scene and pd's like ted you all right and he's like yeah i'm fine and it's like even though i just saw my brother shot in cold blood (laughs) like What do you think's wrong with the guy? We also do have a quick scene here where Mr. White and his two goons fucking carry off Leroy and Skillet to, to, I guess, be murdered because that was the implication earlier in the film. They sure were, as we'll find out later. Yes. Oh, by the way, uh, Lou has, like, a Wicked Witch of the West, like, crystal ball that he watches all this shit transpose in. Or transpire in, rather. Yeah, but he somehow misses all the times that Petey conspires against him. Exactly! <laughs> what the fuck? That was my whole point. He's a busy man. He can't be in front of his crystal ball all day. <laughs> he's the fucking devil. He does take a bath at one point, so he's got to relax a little bit. He drinks his milk? Yeah. He has to go talk to Richard Mole in the, 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 uh, <laughs> the Council of Devils. You know, you know how it is in the MDU. You know, of course, if there's multiple, they uh, they uh, meet up, have lunch, have meetings. Oh, hello, Lou. What are you doing here? Have you ever been defeated by technology? Have you heard of computer games? Can you believe this shit? I don't know. I made a cane and gave it to somebody with powers. Does that count? Well, I, I just let somebody use their uh, wrist uh, fucking weapon that that could basically do anything against me in a battle of combat uh, of wits. Lou, you're, Lou, you're not getting it. He has a laser. We we cut to Rudy Ray Moore basically saying, well, fuck it. I got this cane. I'm going to help people with it. I love this because he has the powers of hell Im- embodied in this cane, and he just goes and does good deeds with it. And I love that idea so much. I love the, the way the montage is filmed is awesome. It's this slow kind of blurry shot of... Petey as he's just walking the street and fucking dancing his fucking ass off and just keeps turning, pointing the cane at something, makes their fucking day, points the cane at something, makes their fucking day. We cut and there's just this guy like getting all cleaned up and he has like 20 kids and he's like leaving his to, to his wife and he goes across the street and he's going to like see some young chick or whatever and his wife follows him and she's about to stab him with a fucking knife and Petey Weedstraw comes out of like a fucking taco joint or some shit with like a bag of food and he runs across the street and stops this like freezes time and stops this woman from stabbing him and he's like I'll tell you what let him live and I'll give you a wish and she's like okay turn him into a dog and he does and he's like there you go ma'am see ya and his side piece is just like ah she fucking runs off and she runs away <laughs> yeah she's fucking fucking hoofs it you were eating dog food motherfucker but yeah kind of you're right then we have this whole montage we get great scene after great scene we have a scene of some like Heavy woman dancing, you know, shaking her ass, enjoying herself, and he points at her, and she gets all skinny. Yeah, he's got the power, baby. Uh, yeah, he passes by a, a uh, this this guy on, like, a piece of shit jalopy, and there's, like, 
10 kids packed in the back seat and they all get out like it's a fucking clown car and pd fucking points a cane at him and then it, it cuts back and this is a brand new shiny car all of his kids have new clothes he's a pimp outfit and he's like okay yeah <laughs> and everybody's feeling good in the neighborhood dude yeah yeah and we see a kid uh you know the ball goes into the road and he stops the car and then he <laughs> to punish this kid he fucking combs his hair and the kid's like crying and shit it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Get out of the street. This whole sequence where he's brushing this kid's hair, I'm like, I can't tell if he's an actual physical peril or if he's just a really good actor. Oh my God, dude. He's combing this fucking kid's hair. It's it's funny. And later, Lucifer's like pissed that he saved that kid's life. He's like, he was one of mine. And he's like, stop messing with my work. And Petey's like, all right. Yeah. Calm down there, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Well, he's like, oh, you used the power of evil for good. I don't know if that's okay, but don't be fucking with my shit when i'm doing something don't fucking don't make it not happen but the but the montage basically ends with uh pd just fucking throwing money in the air or causing it to rain from the sky i suppose question mark yeah i guess that's what's happening yeah and then uh we cut back to uh steve's you know nell's sitting there like doing some paperwork and lucifer walks in and he he's kind of pissed for for that reason that we just kind of explained that pd's doing all these good deeds he wants this marriage to happen where the fuck's pd uh, and she doesn't know. So then moments later, Petey kind of walks in and he's like, oh, yeah, any, any, anybody come in looking for me? She's like, oh, yeah, this really weird guy, but I can't put my finger on it. I don't know how he doesn't know it's Satan. He's just like, I met a lot of weirdos recently. Uh, I don't know either. <laughs> and uh, he's like, all right, I got to practice my lines. I'll be in my dressing room. So he goes back there. And he starts to go through, like, his wardrobe, and fucking Satan, like, steps out from the clothes rack. <laughs> I I love that he is, he's the devil, and he chooses to hide in the wardrobe. <laughs> just so he can do a dramatic reveal. He's such a fucking sassy bitch. And he's just like, remember, Petey, you know, you got your revenge. It's time to fucking pay the piper. And he's like, nah, I know. He's like, I, I wouldn't miss it. I'm looking forward to it. And he's like, okay. He's like, I'm, I'm going to come pick you up at 11 o'clock tomorrow night, all right? Don't fucking miss it. And he's like, I'll be there. See ya. Meanwhile, he's, like, concocting this whole plan in his head. <laughs> I mean, you knew from the second that he agreed to this that he was going to come up with some kind of scheme to get out of it. But it's such, like, it's so threadbare that, like, it's like, how did you, how did you put all your eggs in this basket is what you did. Oh, yeah. Well, the plan's also ridiculous. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> he's going to create a lookalike. Even in the context of this film, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I love, I, we'll get to it, just... Uh, he he tells Nelly he's like call, he's like call Jimmy and get him over here and he's like he's like that was Lucifer and she's like I fucking knew it it was wasn't it something we didn't mention yet is that like in this movie after Petey comes back he's like yeah and then I made a deal with the devil and no <laughs> one's like wow Petey you're a crazy person everyone was like wow dude. You shouldn't mess with the devil. He's a really bad dude. Yeah. You know he's going to come fuck your shit up, right? And he's like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> they treat it like, oh, yeah, like you do. <laughs> well, then this this is the time where it actually, you, you have to deal with it. The shit has hit the fan, as uh, Dolomite would say. Oh, yeah. You know, he's having this meeting with his, his gang, and uh, Jimmy is like, oh, yeah. He's like, maybe you should just marry her. And uh, Petey has this great line. He goes, this hoe is so ugly, she can scare a hungry bulldog off the back of a meat truck. He's like, I don't want to marry her. This bitch is ugly enough to break daylight, he says. <laughs> and he shows Jimmy the picture, and he's like, oh. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, maybe you're onto something there, buddy. Uh, buzz your girlfriend, woof. So then uh, this is where we get this call where uh, he talks to Lucifer, who's bathing with this uh, 
this devil woman with him. I'm into it. He cut. This is his fucking wacky scheme. Well, okay. Well, when I get married to your daughter tomorrow, Lou, uh, my daddy, he always said if when you get married, uh, be be meditating, be in a meditation state. And you know, I, I want to make my dad happy. I got to do his final wishes. And Lucifer's like, do you really have to? He's like, ah, my dad asked me to. All right, fine. I love how Satan is just so he's obliging to everything, right? He's just <laughs> he's had enough, and he's like, whatever. He's like, <laughs> because Lucifer's just like, I just want my daughter to stop fucking bothering me about a husband. Okay, I made this deal with you. I just whatever you got to do, I don't care. I just want to be over with this shit. So that's whatever. Fine. Meditate. Yeah. Marry my daughter and give me a son. Just do what you got to do. That's it. I don't care what you do as long as it produces a child. And then we cut to the omen. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> Rudy Ray Moore standing over a body with a fucking stake. For you, motherfucker. So then he comes up with this. Ins- you know, if the meditation angle wasn't always already crazy enough, now he's asking Jimmy... Who apparently is like an SFX fucking master. He doesn't even say that, Sean. He goes, remember how you used to make stuff? And he's like, (laughs) yeah. And I'm like, make stuff? Yeah, macaroni drawings. What about it? (laughs) You can make a mask of me and put it on a wino. And we'll drug him up with the good shit or something, he says. Why doesn't he just use the fucking cane to turn somebody into a lookalike of him? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say, he's like, none of that cheap shit. I want the real heavy stuff. Yeah, he's like, I want the heavy stuff on this motherfucker. So they do. Him, him, Ted and Jimmy, or PD Ted and Jimmy fucking jump in the car and they and they go down to the dewdrop inn and pick up the, the they fill a whole syringe full of, I guess, heroin. <laughs> and it's like this deep red color. I don't even know what it is. Uh, yeah, they don't ever really say. They just said they're gonna like shoot him up with something to knock him out. Liquid ludes, man. They sh- Yeah. MD Udes. MD yeah, it, I guess they're red. The sad thing is, after he got hit with those MDUs, if he doesn't get another dose, he's gonna fucking melt. Oh, that's right. Hey, he might, he may have. We don't actually see that happen. No. Later in the fucking do drop in, he's just a melted pile in the fucking toilet, maybe? Probably. <laughs> like street trash? Yeah, he's got a bottle of Tenafly in his hand. Neats Reb is behind him, just playing. So, Jimmy jumps out of the car, and he's like, hey, Uncle Frank, he's like, I say, remember me? I'm in, t- I, you know, I'm in town, or whatever. Jesus wept. And they, like, turn him around and fucking Ted jabs him in the ass with the fucking heroin needle. And uh, they just throw him in the trunk and they bring him back and put him in one of fucking <laughs> Petey's suits. Like, yeah, he kind of already looks like me. Now we just have to add the mask. Dude, I love the fact that he spends, like, minutes helping his community and being, like, a decent guy and then immediately resorts to kidnapping when he's in danger. He thinks they're the fucking dregs of society, so he's like, fuck him. He can go to hell. And, like, his whole plan is to do this and then, like, leave town. Like, Satan's not gonna know where the fuck he is. Yeah, I was a little confused on that. It's not like you're, like, leaving him behind somewhere. He's just gonna zap wherever you are. Right. Because you're you. So this scene, it has... Jimmy, like, doing the hair on this, like, mannequin face and stuff. It looks nothing like Rudy Ray Moore at all. Um, It's just like a mannequin head. But they're all like, it looks just like me. (laughs) So he's like, wow, great job. So they take this shitty rubber mask that looks nothing like Rudy Ray Moore. It's not even the same skin tone. And they put it on this wino and they move their hands and it's just Rudy Ray Moore's face. Yeah, there's no effort. I love it. I fucking love it. I love it so much. It's perfect. The other thing is Rudy Ray Moore is uh, a fucking giant man. Yeah. When you get a look at him. And so like this wino has a completely body frame doesn't sound the same they even joke about 
at him. They're like, he's kind of fat. Yeah. They're like, ah, who gives a shit? He's like, he's like a belly and a butt's not going to make a difference or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He exclaims, kiss my Aunt Rhoda's ass because it looks so good. And then, uh, fucking Satan shows up early wearing his, uh, <laughs> this part's hilarious. He's got this fucking track suit on, this red track suit. Oh my God. He's jogging down the street. Yeah, like whistling and shit, like all, all happy as hell. He is so happy to get his daughter a fucking husband and off his fucking back, dude. Every time it cut to him running, having the fucking time of his life with this fucking upbeat piano music playing, I fucking cackled. <laughs> oh, it's great. Every single time. Because it's so funny and it was so jarring because it keep cutting back to a conversation and then slamming back to him and he's just fucking running down the street. And it's, it's one of those things, too, with the, uh, with the low budget of the film. You could tell maybe they, uh weren't really consistent with the hair dye on Lucifer, because in this scene, uh, most of the movie, it's white. This scene, it's like borderline black. Later on, it's just black with a fucking wig on top of it. Yeah. But, you know, it's a little bit of the charm there, for sure. And that's fine. And, and, and that's why I like the that it just being Rudy Ray Moore like, like to have the quote-unquote mask on. And it's such a simple gag, but it totally works well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he comes in, he's early. He's supposed to be there at 11 o'clock. So Petey's like, what are you trying to pull over on me? He's like, ah, oh, no, come on, come on. So he brings him to an abandoned building, and he's like, eh, here's a bunch of concubines. Have at it. Have fun. Yeah, because it's like, it's he's like, I got a present for you, a pre-wedding gift. And he's like, man, if you got to run for it, it must be a groovy situation. So they fucking go down there, like Sean said, and Satan throws him a bachelor party because Satan didn't have one of his own. Well, first they're uh, assaulted by a, hen- uh, a hunchback. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Petey's like, geez, if that's your son, you're never going to find a wife for that guy. He's like, that's not my son. Fuck, shut up. Devil, like, that's not my son. Shut up. Yeah. And then they never come back to that ever no who is he he's never seen again and then there's all these hot devil babes in this room and i love the way they do the makeup because instead of making them like red devils or whatever they're just uh they're just a bunch of different black women with like horn these horns on their head and then they have like these tribal kind of marks like encircling the horns like on their face it's really cool Mm -hmm. and then he has an orgy with them oh my goodness a very orgy by the way okay so before we describe this i want you to envision clockwork orange and instead of uh ludwig van beethoven you have isaac hayes playing the music (laughs) and it's all that fast motion shit when he's having sex with those two chicks that he picks up from the record store malcolm mcdowell (laughs) yeah exactly uh this scene is fucking hilarious because it's just rudy ray moore looking at the camera hamming it up uh, these girls' legs are just up in the air like it's a fucking, you know, swimming routine. And he's looking back. He's fucking them, jumping to the next one, looking at the camera, fucking them, getting on top of them. And, of course, you know, because it's Rudy Ray Moore, he's fucking buck naked in most of these shots. So you just see his ass and his dick flopping around. Dude, there's, like, multiple legs up in the air, and he's, like, going around in this circle, like, fucking them in fast motion and f- screaming at the camera and winking at it and laughing at it. It's yeah. one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I-, I was on the floor. He fucks all of these devil women to death, yeah. by the way. <laughs> he has a conquest speech afterwards. <laughs> And the whole time his friends are back at the bar like, where the fuck is he? He's supposed to be here like hours ago. Oh, he's like, oh, I was fucking all these hot devil chicks. Um, what's up? <laughs> he's like, what do you mean what's up? The devil's coming to pick you up soon. He's like, I know. Don't worry about it. Get the bum. <laughs> and then somebody runs in and they're like, oh, he's here. He's here. And it's like two of his minions, but Petey Weestraw goes and hides. So they get the wino who's KO'd. 
and they, they put him in the back of the car, and Petey's like, ah, he won't wake up for days. Within, like, minutes of leaving the fucking bar, this guy wakes up. In the back of the car, you know, with these devil guys. Why are the, okay, why are the devil guys driving a car? Why didn't they just, like, transport to hell? <laughs> Is it like Iggy and Spike, and they have to, like, go through a fucking hole in the sewer or something? Maybe. Taking the long route. Anyway, this fucking guy w- wakes up in the back of this car, and he rips his dolomite face off. And they're like, wait, it, womp, you know, it's not him. And they, they hit the brakes, and this fucking wino goes running. And of course, uh, you know, the devil's been had. Oh, and he is very unhappy. He is fucking pissed. He uh, decides he's going to just start shaking the screen as his fucking daughter wails in agony, I guess. Yeah, he, he causes like an earthquake. And uh, Petey stops it with the fucking cane, and the devil's like, oh, shit. Why did I ever give him that? I'm an asshole. Why would you give somebody the power? Like, why would you embody the same level of power you do in a cane? Yeah. And give, or, or any object and give it to somebody else that it could rival your own? I mean, I guess the logic is if he is going to, you know, help Petey get his revenge, he, he wants to guarantee it's going to happen so that this marriage goes through. Yeah, but did it have to be that strong, the magic? I didn't think so. Right, well, right, right. We're very fragile creatures, Sean. <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> And, and, you know, Rudy Ray Moore is already powerful enough on his own. You know, he's going to know that kung fu. He could have materialized a gun and just shot them all. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. So then we see Jimmy and them surrounding uh, Petey, you know. Oh, he's like, I knew this would fucking happen. He's like, now what are we going to do? And Nell is just all, you know, all pissed off. Oh, what the hell happened to my apartment? What did you do, Petey? Because <laughs> her apartment's constantly getting fucked up throughout this film. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, yeah, we missed a part where, like, some thugs break in and, like, hack her fucking record player up with, like, a machete. Yeah! And some guy comes at fucking Petey Wheatstro with a twisted tea can, and he fucking knocks it out of his hand. <laughs> Pete, no, Petey uses a twisted tea can to knock somebody out. Oh, yeah, his fucking head just explodes. It's just like that scene in Scanners. Exactly. What is, what, what is that, your fucking grandmother's twisted tea can? <laughs> Um, these devils come in, okay. So they come in and they, they start fighting, because, you know, this happens like three other times leading up to the end of the film, but they wear these black capes, uh, the red horns, and they have, like, uh, I guess it's face makeup, but essentially, like, boogeyman makeup, I would call it. Oh, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like boogeyman extra, like, from March of the Wooden mm-hmm. Soldiers, right? It's like, it, it looks like corpse wax or something on their face, and it's not particularly great, but it works for what? What's going on here? Agreed. And so, you know, Petey kicks their ass, they get the hell out of Dodge, and then they get they get chased by these guys throughout multiple scenes uh, leading up to a confrontation with uh, Lucifer on a roof. This is like some Super Sentai shit, dude, because they're in this fucking alleyway, and they fight off these, like, putties, essentially, like the goons, these devil goons, and Lucifer is up on a rooftop because they, they grab Nell and bring her up there, and they're basically like, it's time to wager again, Mr. Wheatstraw. And, uh, yeah, they're up there. <laughs> and Petey runs up to the top to fucking, I don't know what, negotiate with them. Uh, or kick their ass. I mean, either or. That's what's about to go down, dude. Yeah. And he tells Jimmy, get the car, meet me outside, but just wait in the car. Which is going to be important in a moment. Yeah. So he goes up there, and he's negotiating, like Joe said, to get Nell back, and they let her go. And it's like, all right, you're going to marry my daughter, but she's going to make you suffer every day because of how you went about this. And I'll let Nell go. <laughs> Because I don't need her. Right. Nobody double-crosses the devil. Ask Richard Mole. <laughs> it, that sounds... It's very undevil of him, right? Because I thought he was just going to kill Nell just because. Yeah, and also of note here, like, the devil throughout this film, for the most part, looks like a, just a, a regular guy in a suit or a tracksuit or whatever. Now, 
he has, like, got full devil, full Satan or some shit, and he has, like, this, like, pseudo... I don't even know any other way to refer to this than, like, Santa Claus fucking look to him, where he's got, like, this brim of hair around the front of his head and this huge beard. He's got, like, a mane. He looks like a satyr, kind of, actually. Yes, yes. He looks like a shaman or something, like like a a priest. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those cases where, again, low budget, not really picking on it, but it's kind of funny to watch where he has, like, this cotton kind of uh, mane, like you said, Joe, and then you see, like, his actual hair is just black behind it. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, it looks, again, it looks fine for what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I like the rest of his costume. He kind of has, like, a V-neck costume with, like, red in this cape. It's intimidating looking. I think so. And they kind of make up for it. They have, I mean, for again, for being such a low-budget production, there's actually some pretty decent lighting in this film. Yes. So then they get into a big confrontation, and... While this is going on, Nell gets to the car. Well, instead of just sitting there and waiting for Petey Wheatstraw, she has a fucking bee up her ass that all her stuff is left at her apartment. She's like, I need my jewelry, my makeup, my underwear, my money. Meanwhile, Petey Wheatstraw is fucking combating like 10 devil guys at once with this fucking cane on this rooftop. Yeah. And Lucifer, by the way. So they convince Jimmy to fucking drive, to go to the apartment. And they're like, we'll be back by the time he's done kicking their asses or whatever. And it's like, okay. So they do. He'll be fine. I don't know why you wouldn't just wait for him to be done and then go to the apartment, but okay. So then we get our fucking final showdown between uh, Satan and Petey, and they're going at odds with the power, right? And Petey is able to overpower Satan with the cane? (laughs) Somehow. And he's like, no more suffering and pain. I'm gonna destroy your ass with your own cane. (laughs) And he fucking like hits him with it and then picks him up and he lights on fire and he throws him off the fucking building and he hits he fucking smacks that ground dude and he's just a flaming pile of shit yeah we get a burn mark in the ground of his of his silhouette it's fucking great i've torn down entire divine kingdom (laughs) so then Petey, he thinks he's okay i want to beat the devil well okay Good job, Petey. Breaks the cane in half. He doesn't need that anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, just like Harry Potter with the Elder Wand. I'm like, what are you doing, Petey? Just, I mean, maybe you should put that in a safe if you need it someday, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then he goes down there, and a car pulls up. Very similar to Jimmy's, but we don't know if it's Jimmy's or not. And he just, he doesn't really look. He just walks into the fucking back of the car. Dude, he's so about himself. He's strutting down that fucking sidewalk like, yeah, I beat Satan's fucking ass. I killed him. <laughs> and then he looks to his left and he, and Satan's like, oh yeah, you did. And he's like, ah! <laughs> We finally see the daughter, and she turns around, and she's like, you're mine now, motherfucker, and she takes off her fucking uh, veil, and it's actually pretty creepy makeup. It's like a skeleton face, kind of, with these crazy, like, wild eyes. Yeah, it's almost like it has, like, a uh, Rorschach test on her face. Kind of, and it's like, Petey, you could have just left that veil down, brother. Or just, you know, taking the deal, because you brought back your whole family after being murdered. (laughs) Right. that too, right? And your friends. Except for Larry. Larry's just dead. They didn't bring him back. Why not just bend the rules? Be like, okay, I'll marry your daughter and have your kid, but we're going to live on Earth, okay? Yeah, why not? Right, right. And I get to keep all my devilry power. And the cane. I get to keep the cane. (laughs) And, of course, we also see Leroy and Skillet, now devils, working for Satan, driving the car. They're like, oh, you didn't think we'd see us again, huh? Oh, yeah. And the movie just ends with Petey Wheatstraw screaming into the camera as his friends are in the car across the street like, oh, shit, Petey, Petey, oh, no! Kiss the bride! And then he just screams and there's credits. Yeah, and then the credits come up and we get that beautiful theme song again. Such a, such a... 
a Nightmare on Elm Street-esque ending. Like, I love it. <laughs> the only thing missing was uh, Petey Wheatstraw getting sucked through the uh, passenger door window. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. What a fucking ride, dude. <laughs> this movie's so much fun. <laughs> yeah so yeah we're 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 back to our regular episodes so uh where's this going guys where the, is this in the dumpsters on the shelf where where are we putting this boy first of all it's been a while since we've done this i know uh this is a shelf movie irrefutably this movie is uh wacky it's absurd it's ridiculous it's really funny and sometimes it's pretty heavy and dark um, but it's sincere all the way. Rudy Ray Moore is fucking hilarious. I love the devil in this movie. Yeah. And like, there's no wasted effort or resources. Like this is very clearly made as labor of love and even stuff that doesn't work technically, like from a film perspective, it's fine. None of it's problematic. It's just, it's a low budget filmmaking charm. So yeah, this is awesome. Um, so good shelf. Oh yeah, totally shelf. They're all on the shelf. We got Dolomite, we got the human tornado, we got Petey Wheatstraw and the devil son-in-law and disco Godfather, baby. This series is so much fun and uh this movie in particular is one of the wackiest of the bunch we have super it's like a supernatural action crime movie with kung fu and a fucking some guy gets devil powers in a fucking pimp cane and and just like uh, gets revenge and it's a revenge movie too like there, it, anything you can want in an exploitation movie you got it here front and center and like connor said i want to piggyback off that it's super sincere everybody's it, it, the material's so ridiculous but everybody's taking it so serious that when those serious points happen they fucking hit and when those funny parts happen they fucking hit too this is one of those enigmas where like i don't think we're gonna get another rudy ray moore ever again and i'm so happy that we were uh i don't want to say blessed but we were grateful enough i'm I'm grateful that we have these (laughs) films um and that they were made because they're just a ton of fun and yeah and absolutely 110 percent uh on the shelf uh yeah this is a fucking shelf movie without a doubt and uh, I'm going to just echo what Joe and Connor said, you know, especially what Joe was just saying, you know, all those movies are great. Those four that he just listed, I would recommend highly. And uh, what can I really say? Like Rudy Ray Moore really was, you know, one of the first of his kind. Uh, th- this is my favorite Rudy Ray Moore movie. Dolomite's great. Disco Godfather's great. Human and Tornado are all great. Uh, but this one in particular, just the fucking plot, the the one-liners, the, the side characters like Leroy and Skillet. Uh, I gotta look up some of their, like, actual comedy bits, see if they're on YouTube, because they are just fucking hilarious, Rudy's hilarious, even Jimmy and Ted, like, Ted's a little muted, but his storyline's interesting, Jimmy's got a few good one-liners where he's kind of bouncing off of, uh, Rudy Ray Moore, just kind of perplexed at what is coming out of his mouth, and even Nell's very good, she doesn't do a lot in the film, but anytime anything crazy's going on, she is kind of like the voice of reason, like, in that scene where her apartment's getting destroyed, She's just like, ah, oh, come on, that's not insured. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, who's going to pay for that? It's just a really fun movie uh, throughout. I, you know, I was laughing my ass off the entire time. And I think the last time we did a movie like this where I was laughing my ass off was probably Shakes the Clown with uh, Rudy Real. Yeah. Uh, another Rudy. There's really nothing else I can say. I don't know. I don't want to, like talking too many circles here yeah it, it's a shelf movie i, I i'm kind of uh i just i don't know really what else to say because i really just love this movie and i think that's 
kind of my glowing endorsement. Absolutely. Have yourself a Dola Marathon. There you go. And then top it off with the with the biopic. Have yourself a Dolly month. Yeah. But yeah, real quick, we wanted just to we just wanted to know uh, you might have noticed that we didn't do any questions in the beginning of this episode. Uh listener questions and or Patreon questions because we are saving them for the end of the month. We're going to do live shows at the end of each month uh highlighting the movies that we've done and we're we'll be taking questions then. We'll be answering special uh Patreon messages and things like that and giving shout-outs and stuff and we'll also be doing um taking live questions for that. So definitely keep your eye out for that. Uh should be a ton of fun. Uh we want to we want to interact more with you guys in a in a big way, so that's how we're going to do that from now on. And, you know, the, the episode's a little bit more easy to digest, where we can still have our fun side tangent conversations without going too far out of the way of the topic at hand. Right, we're not, we're not necessarily going to be going into what's eating Clint Howard this week. I mean, if it comes up, we'll, well, we'll talk about it, but it won't be a regular facet per se, at least not immediately. <laughs> it's okay, you can ask us all those questions on that live show. So get get psyched for that at the end of each month. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to do that uh, for uh, the end of February. We're not sure what day yet, but we'll let you know. And that's the thing. You can tune in. Great. If you can't, you can always catch the show later because uh, it'll be recorded <laughs> in the feed. Exactly. You can watch the video or get it, get, it, get it on your podcast. You can listen to it, too. And then, of course, you can always support us by either heading over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to the show. Leave us a review. And uh, we really appreciate it. It gets us out of the bottom of the dumpster and into more eardrums. A five-star review. Absolutely. And if you uh, if you let us know you did it, we will always shout you out because uh, we really do appreciate it. And if, if you want to donate uh, monetarily on a monthly basis, you can head over to that patreon.com slash movie dumpster. And we have the two, five, and $10 tiers. Uh, five and 10 will get you all those uh, mini-sodes, commentary tracks that are coming and uh, books in the movie, and so much more. Brand new Minisode episodes for our new Minisode series. We got some good stuff cooking up. Oh yeah, we got we got a lot planned this year. And we also have that brand new Movie Dumpster shop that we launched at the end of last season. If you want to buy some MD gear, we have those t-shirts up there. And other things, beanies, uh, caps... Uh, what else we got on there? Face masks, sweatshirts, t-shirts, long sleeve shirts. I have to say, uh, I wear my beanie, my, my pom-pom beanie, the, the neon green one, pretty much every day. <laughs> I, I kind of love it. But with that all said, we love to thank our listeners, especially our patrons. So I'd like to give a shout out to Hunter Davenport, Brendan Lemune, The Autistic Gamer 89, Christopher... Jacob Chavez, Leonardo Roberto Talavera Robrocio. Gorlami is my name. And fucking up motherfuckers is his game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking up Clint Howard is his game. Oh, yeah. Fucking up Clint Howard's butt is his game, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda Tweed, Joe Has a Mustache, Dustin Elkins, Nick Lowry, Dalton Bell, Serge Murillo, Matt Collins, Lucio Fulci's butt, Julie Lockwood, Kyle McDonald, Nicholas Walters, Justin Kiefer, Daniel Perhaps, Jacob Fonsbeck, Patrick Farmer, Tony from Hack the Movies, C.B. Smith, Arlen Haro, and John, possibly hurt. Thank you all for your support. Thank you guys so much, and uh, we hope you're going to enjoy this uh, Black Exploitation Month. Yes, we really hope you enjoy it and everything we have to come. It's going to be a uh, pretty packed year, and we're really looking forward to it. Oh yeah, get ready, strap in. So that's it. That's Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law from 1977, directed by Cliff Rockmore. 
If you want some more good, bad, and god-awful movie goodness, head over to moviedumpsterpodcast.com and follow us on all of your favorite social media and streaming platforms. You can also head on over to our Patreon page and sign up for the 2 5 or $10 tiers for monthly exclusive content, or drop by our merch store and grab yourself uh, some non-committal swag. Yeah, and for no money at all, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to support your favorite show. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor McGraw. Thanks for visiting the dumpster. Hey, man, you can't talk to my woman like that. Shut up. Shut your ugly, old-time, ancient ass up. If you say one more word to me, I'll help that lady take one of her titties and beat the shit out of you. And I ain't lying either. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I am what I am, and I'm going to be the very best of what I am. And for those who don't like me confidentially, I don't give a damn. I'd like to thank you for letting me be myself. Thank you.